Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. Today, we're happy to welcome you to a great episode with Simon Cruz, founding managing partner of Lightship Capital and the youngest guest we've ever had on the show and probably will have for quite some time. At just 25 years of age, Simon already has the achievements of a lifetime under his belt. Found watch brand? Check. Join corporate bank and rise to become sub-director? Check. Co-founder of Portugal's strongest fintech association? Check. Raise VC fund to invest in blockchain startups? Well, of course. Strap in, because you're in for an episode where we at least attempt to keep up with Simon and the ever-changing blockchain space. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Hack and Hustle's launching the second cohort of their first fundraise accelerator program. Tailor-made for European first-time founders about to raise their pre-seed or seed round. In 10 weeks, founders learn directly from European VC champions while they build and execute on a no-BS fundraise prep that will secure them their next round of financing fast. It's up or out. If founders don't keep up the pace, they're kicked. So participation and progress is ensured for the most ambitious teams. Invite founders in your network to visit hackhustle.co and apply to get connected to the European VC. Simao, welcome to the European VC. It's great having you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Simao, before we start, we have to start at the big six here because <laughs> you're doing a fund in the crypto space and in the distributed finance space. And that's, of course, something that most of our listeners and most of the world aren't that familiar with. We know as interested people in the VC world that you have to know some and that it's really growing and everything. But do give us a quick intro on you as well as what this field is. Right. So on my experience, I started investing through an investment bank that adds this VC arm, investing in early stage fintech companies, mostly B2B. Then there was also the possibility of bringing some of that vision, some of those startups inside the investment bank to generate new sources of revenue. So very quickly, I started not just investing, but also working directly with the startups, which gave me a pretty clear view on how hard it was to create one of those fintech startups. So on top of that, and totally aside from the bank, I created a nonprofit association just to help them grow. We went from working directly with the regulators on the first regulatory sandbox to nowadays having a five-floor building to bring the entire fintech ecosystem in. So from the smallest of the startups to JP Morgan working on their blockchain or big partners like Accenture, Visa, Bank BBVA and so many other and really trying to create an ecosystem around it. We also launched, for example, Microsoft's first fintech accelerator on a global scale and it ended up giving me a pretty broad perspective on the big world of DeFi and crypto that is growing a lot, but also the impact that blockchain technology start staffing on these more traditional systems. So that's when I decided to leave all that behind and to get started on this new fund on a very exciting area that is uh, blockchain 
and that can really replace the traditional systems that we're used to work on. Simao, just explain us what is blockchain, what is crypto, what is distributed finance from the VC perspective. Of course, everyone here are focused on that. Those are pretty broad terms and they can mean a lot of things. To start off, so the main difference here is that we have an infrastructure that is totally decentralized, right? So we are used to have one single a bank or an institution owning this data and controlling the entire operations. From one day to the other, they may decide to change anything that is happening there. They may use our data on whatever they want, as we're seeing some very big technological companies doing so. And they may also decide to change the rules of the game from one day to the other. And suddenly we have a technology that is totally transparent, that is open and almost immutable, right? So people can look at these codes, they can see what these companies are proposing to do, and then these are just scripts of codes that in one way or the other have to follow these rules. So we have a much more transparent system that we can actually trust. And this trust is made by these algorithms and consensus that all the participants have to follow. And so that's the main difference here that can change everything. And of course, then there are a lot of rules on top of it that apply, that make it more sustainable, that allow it to reach a lot of clients and be used worldwide by so many users. I think most people relate blockchain to crypto and the finance world, but it extends so far beyond that. Could you talk a bit about that as well? Absolutely. The first applications that we saw more than 10 years ago was Bitcoin. At that time, we had a very close relationship between what blockchain was and what Bitcoin was. And still nowadays, most people have this idea that assets like Bitcoin are still a lot related with speculation, that are still related with supply and demand, that this is how they work. And we're seeing pretty big differences in the ecosystem. One of the most interesting ones, that is how these tokens are able to change, how these tokenomics are able to be made in a way that they're almost competing with equity and they have the characteristics of equity. And on top of that, we have a technology, blockchain, that totally separates from what these crypto tokens are, right? So at the end of the day, we actually do not need these tokens. We do not need this relationship with the assets to make this technology work. One of the areas that we're very excited about actually is precisely the connection between the traditional world and the digital world. If we're seeing like the big organizations uh, like insurance companies and the big investment banks around, they're testing blockchain technologies that have nothing to do with tokens, simply to improve their processes, to reduce the middlemen's in the process, to be able to save and therefore improve their efficiency. So there's a big difference in there and a lot of companies still nowadays that do not decide to issue tokens. So we could say those are pretty much almost two separate terms and, and rules of the game. Yeah. Let me maybe double down on something you said. You said that tokens have the characteristics of equity. Please explain. <laughs> that's yeah. very interesting for our listeners. Yeah, so that's a very interesting characteristic that we see appearing probably in the last two years. When these companies are being created and when these tokens are being issued, they come out with very specific rules. 
and these teams can put in these tokens pretty much any rules they want. So first of all, we started with governance tokens. And governance tokens would give us almost the ability to vote, right? They would give us almost a seat at the table and who has more votes, who has more tokens, has the ability to have a more powerful vote in a certain direction. So we can vote on what the rate should be, what products should be. We even have companies like MakerDAO using their tokens to decide on who they should hire. So people submit their CVs to the company and then the community will vote who should be the next community manager, for example. And then we saw other characteristics coming in. A very interesting one was that these tokens would relate their value to the results of the company. So we started having a value of that token that would be more and more similar to the value of that equity. We could start by receiving, for example, dividends, right? We could start participating in these companies in their liquidity pools by lending these tokens to other people. We could use them to stake and participate in these consensus mechanisms. And so suddenly we have at early stage companies the possibility to receive dividends, which for our LPs is something completely crazy, right? Because we only start receiving dividends most times when these companies are extremely at a later stage, when they're totally profitable or after their IPOs and getting public. So investing in early stage companies, having the appreciation in the token asset value, but then also receiving dividends at early stages is something completely uh, game-changing. People nowadays may decide to invest in the tokens. They may also decide to invest in equity in case these companies decide to sell it as well. Or we have hybrid models, right? In which we can participate sometimes even in both at the same time. Super interesting. And we'll dive into that in a second. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> that's the next segue. I need to ask this and... Keep in mind, this is something that I'm a complete ignorant about. <laughs> in this world of what you're talking about, where do NFTs fit into? You know, from an outsider perspective, we're hearing a lot about NFTs. I'm very wary of it because I just don't get it well enough. So help us understand here. What are NFTs and how do they fit into what you're just talking about? So first of all, I think it's important to see that this is a very nascent technology and we're seeing a lot of waves in the ecosystem. So it started, as I was saying, more than 10 years ago with Bitcoin, right? And we had these coins that could be used at the time as a new peer-to-peer -peer network where people would transfer money between each other. Quickly, then Bitcoin started to be almost like a gold standard kind of thing in which the technology was definitely too slow in order to enable that peer-to-peer -peer network. And so it was almost a bit more to register and secure our money. Then we had another wave, a wave of almost programmable money, right? So if we imagine that Bitcoin is like an Excel, it's a ledger in which we can register how much each one of us has, then Ethereum came in almost like as an Excel with macros, right? So where we could put in some rules and they would act depending on the tasks that we'd enforce. Then we had several other ideas coming in, a big war in the past like three years on layer ones in which people were saying even Ethereum's technology is not good enough. We need to look for alternatives. We need to look for more scalability and security. 
So we had a lot of new applications coming in. Then that was also not enough. And we had a war and we're still having a war on layer two. So let's put another layer on top or on the side of those chains and let's try to scale them. In the past two years, we started having a big change in what comes to financial technology and what we hear as DeFi, so decentralized finance. And NFTs almost came in that sequence in which for the first time in history, we started having on the internet unique items. So what we're used to see in the internet and the big change was that the capacity to replicate a product and the cost to do so would come to zero, right? I just have to develop a game and then I can put it on more CDs, right? And I have to sell them around, but the cost is pretty much on the CD, not on the software. And that was amazing on the internet. But as we go along, people started copying that. I could download a song from all these players on the internet or whatever, and this song would be exactly the same as the other. There was no difference. NFTs come along, first of all, through games, in which these assets would represent a very specific token or product that we'd see in the game. At the end of the day, now we have pretty much a token that can identify a specific item on the internet. So even if someone ends up copying it and cloning it and reselling it and sharing it with millions of people, I still know who has the real item, who has the first edition, who minted it, who generated it, right? And then NFTs start putting a lot of rules on top of it. So we also have the capacity nowadays of having royalties on these sales. So let's imagine that an artist is writing a song, he's composing a song, he puts out there in the market, and instead of putting on a CD and selling that CD and having royalties on that, he can sell that song and every time that song is sold, he's getting also paid a bit of that transaction. And this is amazing because this empowers the capacity for a lot more users to come to these products and to buy them for the price that they want to buy. It allows for the artists to get a lot more ownership on those assets. And I think at the end of the day, we're just scratching the surface of what an NFT can be, right? A few years from now, it may represent our house, uh, real estate that we have, our cars, and so many other things. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> I remember a fun quote regarding what you said with uh, seeing many multiple waves, which is that if you're an emerging manager and you don't have the track record to have seen ups and downs, then just spend two weeks in blockchain and then you'll have what equates 20 years of experience from public yeah. markets. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. It's amazing. I'm curious if we have listeners here that want to know more, what resources would you say are good to dive into? I personally like A16C series, whether of webinars that dive deep on this and really take you through from A to C on blockchain. But do you have other recommendations? Yeah, so there are a lot of resources out there. I would say that the pace of innovation is so fast that users really need to not just read and be constantly updated on what's going on, but also to use these technologies above all. So really having their wallet set up, really going to these applications, seeing what they're doing and using it on a day-to-day -day basis. And regarding then resources to be able to tap into what's going on, we also really like, for example, Delphi Digital. These guys started as a research 
firm quickly started selling it to the biggest funds out there. Then they also created their own fund and started investing in these companies. And they have both these daily newsletters as some more in-depth reports on the industry and on these projects. And then there are also some good resources out there. Chain analysis also posts some very interesting reports on the market itself. And then we have the general newspapers. Simon, before we go into your investment thesis and dive really deep there, I just have one clarifying question, which is, I actually think you and your deck for Lightshift have a very interesting example of this, which is that you mentioned Avalanche, which yielded you 26 multiplier in two months. And then right after that, 4.6 in just a couple of days. You know, if you add that up, I guess it gets you to somewhere around 150 or so. Anyone can see that that cannot be sustainable. There has to be something going on there. Could you explain to me maybe with this case or something else in mind, what is it? Right, so that is a very specific example, almost too literal, on how we're using our very unique strategy to support these companies to give them the best chances of success but at the same time, the best possible return to our LPs, you know, and we can go deeper into that, but that's certainly done through an engineering team that is constantly looking for very leveraging opportunities within these projects, within these startups, and then goes on to build them and to add that value. And so what happened there was, as I was mentioning before, there was a lot of demand by solutions that could improve on the scalability and the speed that Ethereum add, right? So we saw a lot of layer ones in the ecosystem and Avalanche really came in with a great team and with a very different technology. So in that time, it got investments from some very strong funds like Initialize, like A16Z and so many other angels. And when the product came to market, it was offering a very strong solution and quickly got a lot of demand. But on top of it and on top of those 26 times that you were mentioning and pretty much any funds that invested just like with it was having those returns, what we have different here is the capacity to create alpha, right? So looking for projects that can really have a big impact on these companies, on these big startups. And with Avalanche, there was the possibility to build this bridge to Ethereum, right? So recognizing that Ethereum was a much stronger ecosystem, a much bigger ecosystem, and by doing so would allow for all of those users to transfer money out of their Ethereum blockchain into Avalanche. And so on the week that it came out, there were more than 120 million flowing out of Ethereum into Avalanche. And of course, that led to a lot more demands, a lot more adoption, a lot more transfers, and consequently, the value of the network to significantly increase. And so this happens because we are still at some very early stages. And if we look at a product like Avalanche, this can be the foundation to everything that is going to be created, right? We're speaking about an infrastructure, a layer one, on top of millions of applications may be built on top of which like hundreds of billions of dollars may be uh, held. And so this has definitely a lot of potential. Now, we see this potential for the next five or 10 years to be completely insane. We are at the beginning of an era with a technology that can replace the traditional systems. 
But of course, that as we move along after those 10 years and we get into more competition for the space, we go into margins that start to be a bit more constrained. Of course, those returns are expected to fall, just like we're seeing it in traditional banking, then in traditional fintech and so many other industries. I'm a little curious, even though this might be a good setup for talking about investment thesis, but I can't help but think that when there's a larger opportunity to generate alpha, that also means that there is also a bigger risk. There are breakaway companies, and then there's a lot that end up not doing so. And I would expect that that also means that It's difficult to double down on a couple of investments. So the breadth of your portfolio needs to be bigger in this space than traditional fintech, for example. What are your views on that? Exactly as you're saying, the risk is huge here, right? Because everything is just getting started. These ideas can go pretty much in any direction. And it's our job to figure out what direction is. And so instead of having a massive portfolio in which we are constantly buying more and more companies and we're seeing a ton of funds out there doing so, we are not doing that and not going in that direction. Because in these companies, as they are open source, the capacity to protect our IP is a lot more reduced, right? So anyone can go there, they can see the code, they can copy it. And on top of that, the technology is just evolving at such a fast pace that anything can be replaced at this point from one year to the other. And so we see that the number of companies going down will be definitely higher than on a traditional fintech market, right? If we're looking at the current statistics of any VC, like the one to 10 in which one of those 10 companies will cover the losses and will make us 10x for the other companies that we invested, in blockchain, we see that number being even lower. And so what we're doing so is going in the complete opposite direction, in which instead of having an ever-growing portfolio, we have a concentrated portfolio of companies that we believe are the future of financial services. And at some point, a better technology will come in, for sure. So that's when we take advantage of the liquidity there is in the market by investing in these tokens to replace that company for the next best one, the one with the best chances to succeed in the ecosystem. And so as we update our portfolio, the vision is to 10 years from now, have a concentrated portfolio of the Googles, of the Internet, the Visas, and the PayPals, and, and all these companies that build the infrastructure of financial services. So that also means, Simao, that you are allowed by your LPs to recycle the capital? Exactly. So we also have a very unique fund structure in which we operate pretty much as a VC and an edge fund at the same time. How could we create the next best VC in the world? How could we create almost like the next Sequoia, right? Right now, there are such big changes in the ecosystem that we believe to have the possibility to do so. The VC market has been like stopped for the past 20 or 30 years in which people would invest in early stage companies, almost like angels with small tickets, they would invest in their equity, they would support them on the business side, and that would be it, pretty much. But right now, we have this massive change in liquidity, right? We have this massive change in which we can invest in these tokens, and then we can take advantage of 
these open source characteristics and decentralization characteristics to support these companies with a technical team, a team that is constantly looking for opportunities in the market and then goes on to build them on these companies. And so that's why we believe we can offer a lot more value to these companies in our portfolio and also extraordinary returns to our LPs. Let's take that, Simon. You said part hedge fund, part VC. And also in your investment materials, you say that you follow multi-strategy approach where you leverage benefits of asset liquidity, diversification, and hands-on impact. It's very interesting first that you have, you know, part hedge fund, part VC fund. That's different. That's new. That's interesting. But you're also talking about here some interesting topics, namely liquidity. <laughs> so maybe let's go ahead and unpack this a bit and explain it a bit more in deep detail. Can you just deep dive a bit so our audience understands exactly what that thesis and strategy is? Yeah, absolutely. So at the core of our fund, we are a traditional VC. You know, so the most part, the majority of our capital goes into early stage companies, companies that have certainly, as Andreas was saying, uh, a lot more risk, but as well, a lot more potential. And what goes in there is that we also have a lot more capacity to provide value to these companies and to influence them. We have companies that are coming to us in which we have the capacity to almost double their technical teams, you know, because they're just getting started. They have a few engineers and we can really help them put their products in the market with a lot more speed and with a lot more quality. And so our influence will also be a lot more significant there. And so for those companies, we usually go with a smaller tickets and higher diversification. But then, and since we're investing in liquid tokens, we can also balance our portfolio between high potential with high liquidity. And as everyone knows, this market has been seen with high volatility, right? And some very strong cycles. And so this high liquidity also gives us some very interesting opportunities to come in and buy more at strategic points in time, as well as selling and protecting a bit more our portfolio. So that's when we start investing in two other main areas. One of them, we call them the untapped um, opportunities. So these are projects with a bigger track record. So we see these projects in the market for the past two years, one year. We already know like the traction they have been able to get. We know their teams, we know what they have been doing and the potential will be a lot smaller but we see that their technical foundations are still very strong and that we can add value on top of them and unlock some interesting value in the coming month. And finally, we also have what we're calling established networks. These are like the top 20 to 30 companies by market cap in which we definitely cannot add as much value since they are so big but we are investing with them with a lot more liquidity for the longer term. And so this is how we can add a lot of value to the startups, as well as managing a portfolio to constantly improve our returns. So you talked about a couple of different cases there. Do you have examples that you can share so we understand what you're talking about? I think early stage, all our listeners understand that. <laughs> That's what they're used to. But when you talked about untapped potential and established networks, what are you talking about? Yeah, so the early stage projects, we're speaking of projects that come in at very early stages, right? With usually a smaller valuations, 
no track record or just a bit of a, a track record. And so we need to come in with a much bigger feeling on the team, on the potential of the market and what they can accomplish. But as we start moving to the untapped ecosystems and to the established networks, we have a much a stronger track record there. And so therefore we are able to reduce the risk on that side and therefore increase our tickets. So as we go along, we are increasing the size of our tickets, the more liquid that these projects are, and consequently, you know, adapting our portfolio so we can have those top 20 to 30 companies in which we really see the future of financial services being built. I'm super curious, sitting here taking notes, I'm writing that this is very different. <laughs> and I can't help but think that your LP profile has to be equally different, or at least your conversations with them must have been quite curious. As you know, I can't think of many LPs I've met who would have the ability to diligence something in the blockchain space who are saying, we're going to do everything completely different from what you normally do in VC, because you very quickly get to a point where you say, okay, so what are going to be the rules of distribution here? Are you going to do 30 companies and 50% of the capital into companies and 50% into tokens? Or how do you do that? When are you allowed to sell off and reinvest and all those things? I can't help but think that that must have been a very curious process with LPs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we're looking for a very specific type of LPs and above all LPs that can add value to this fund, right? So we're very happy that until this moment and actually in, in a short period of time, we've been able to secure some of the strongest LPs in the space. If we want to create that type of investor that I was mentioning before, a totally new type of investor that can revolutionize this area, we need to be the best fund, not just having access to the top deal flow in the industry, but also having the best technical due diligence in the industry. This is becoming more and more important. And finally, also adding as much value as possible, both on a business and technical side. So we're also including our LPs a lot in this process, and we want them to contribute to the fund as much as possible. And so these type of LPs, the ones that understand uh, the area and already come with some background, they really like the strategy as they see that this is something different for sure and that can have a much bigger impact. And then, of course, then when we go to more traditional LPs, we're seeing two main things. So one of those things is they still see this area with a lot of risk since these ideas of what a token means, what selling these tokens means is not very, very strong. Or we're seeing that family offices and other type of high net worth have almost the mandate and the idea of investing between 1% to 5% of this portfolio in this area as a way of, in order to diversify, since yeah. they are seeing so much potential. And above all, what we are seeing the most are LPs that want to learn. So they want to have access to our fund because they recognize this is definitely not their area. This is an area with a massive potential and that can in fact be the future of financial services. And so they want to have exposure, not just to the returns, but also to our capacity of 
building, of being inside the ecosystem, of seeing what can be the future, what JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs and all those big guys are going to use, what their kids will be using 10 years from now on their phones. And so therefore being very close to the founding partners and to this technical team to be able to learn and participate. Simao, I'm curious because we have, of course, many both established fund managers doing more and more in the blockchain space, but also emerging managers. And they're all out there racing <laughs> from LPs. And I'm curious, do you have some insights on the profiling you want to do and also on the points you want to double down on? Yeah, so at this point, we're speaking with as many LPs as possible since You know, there may be some very interesting profiles that even at first we're not expecting, right? We'd even expect some more institutional VCs, some insurance companies or banks to have a lot more of a conservative approach in which at the end of the day, they're actually going in the opposite direction. So we're being surprised and therefore increasing our scope. But I totally agree, Andreas, that it's very, very important for an emerging manager to almost make a list of potential LPs, of knowing their target, and then primarily going after that. So that has been our main focus, and those are the people that we're focusing on. People that like this area, that have invested in one way or the other in companies in the blockchain space, and then that they're willing to bet in innovation, what the future can be, and that like a building approach, just like the one we have. We recently had a, an interesting chat. If I'm not mistaken, it was either with a family office decision maker or with a specialized consultant that works solely with family offices, where he said something that as any kind of vertical matures, specialization happens. And so his opinion was very much that as it matures, you either do VC or you do token investing. It will have to do that route. So his comment almost goes against your strategy to some extent. Really curious to have your thoughts. Do you think this is something that you'll be able to do for some time and then you'll have to mature as an organization as well? Or do you see there being space to having this hedge fund kind of approach through the development of this space, of this vertical. Just to be totally clear there, David, we also believe in that and we're totally focused on token investing. So even at early stages, the primary way that we have in investing, even when those companies do not have a token, is through SAFT agreements, right? So contracts for future tokens, not for future equity, right? And when they launch something, then it will convert. That's our primary way and we believe those tokens have some very interesting characteristics first of all they really put founders a lot more on the line right because now the value of that token defines their work a lot more and so they will push the extra mile to keep that and they will also be wanting to see lps committing to a long-term vision and second of all we see some very interesting characteristics as I was mentioning, being able to collect yields at an early stage, which is completely game-changing to LPs, especially at the rates that we're seeing nowadays with stuff like 10% or even more. That will certainly be a game-changer, knowing that we keep the same characteristics of equity, right? So we have the governance part in which we can vote, we can be strongly close to the founders and participate in their roadmap, give our opinions and contribute to the company. And so we believe those characteristics are here to stay. Not for all companies, I'm sure of that, but for these extremely decentralized ones and that need to have a community to be incentivized to participate a lot more in the projects. 
that I'm sure of. That is something extremely powerful, right? So we are seeing that some of these projects have some very small teams. They have teams of four or five people. But then as they have a token that can incentivize a community, they end up having five or six more teams in a totally decentralized way of two, three people in Europe, in the Philippines, in Chile, in all these countries that decides to contribute to this project and to build something on top of it. And so that's why we're seeing such a massive pace of innovation in this industry and these companies growing so much. So there's definitely a lot of power in these communities that will evolve for sure, and the mechanisms will keep on evolving. But we see this as a much stronger case for participating in companies. I'm curious, Simel, uh, you need to unpack this for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unpack is the fine word for explain it to me. <laughs> Are you saying that when these blockchain companies found themselves, they actually don't found themselves with a cap table as much as with a token table? And that is then what you invest into? And they may not even be legal entities outside of the world of blockchain. Yeah, so that's something that has certainly been changing a lot. We see companies moving to other jurisdictions, certainly because of the still legal uncertainties with some of the regulators on what the token should be classified as, if it's a security, if it's not a security or any type of asset that we're seeing in the financial industry. At the end of the day, we see these companies wanting to bring that type of assets closer to what equity is. And it really depends on the goals that the company is trying to accomplish. We're seeing big companies out there that go only for equity. They may be in the blockchain space, but it really does not make sense to be decentralized. They still have a common team, a strong team behind them, and they are simply deploying a technology that is built on top of blockchain, right? Now, there are other companies that want to create an ecosystem. If we look at a company, for example, as we could say, like Terra, so an ecosystem for decentralized finance, we need to have a lot more people building lending applications, building ways of people to invest, to participate in a digital economy. And that has to be done through some kind of incentive. The financial incentive that we're seeing is through these tokens. The bigger the ecosystems become, the more valuable the tokens are, and therefore the bigger the incentive for these people to participate. And so for some of them, it has been what allowed them to grow so much. If I was like a closed company with five guys, no one would want to come in and just participate out of nowhere, yeah, right? Yeah. And now we can change completely that idea, you know? So Ethereum has on top of it hundreds of thousands of apps that were built on top of that infrastructure. And that's all because we have this ETH running on top of it. So these are very interesting models, a lot related with psychology as well as with sociology and how people organize themselves that are having a lot of impact on these projects. I have to put you on the spot, Simon. <laughs> When you're talking about the potential of these technologies and the example you gave with artists is a great one. The example you just gave now, you know, of increasing basically 
the capacity of your team by using these technologies. That's super interesting. There's obviously risks to it, but it's still super interesting. And as one of the co-hosts of a podcast, this makes me think, you know, the business of a podcast is basically reaching a lot of people, <laughs> right? And podcasts are, you know, bursting everywhere. There's more podcasts popping up and so on. And there's more investment going into podcasting. Do you see applications of these technologies in our space? And right now, I'm almost tapping you for consulting <laughs> on the spot live, but I'm really interested in understanding what are the opportunities here? Do you know of any trend, any interesting thing being done right now? Yeah, so we're seeing massive potential on the artist space with all these NFTs. NFTs have been the trend of the year. You know, Everything <laughs> is getting like a massive uh, valuations, yeah, yeah. massive I demand. I think I saw this, sorry for interrupting, Simo. I think this yeah, morning sure. I, I opened my LinkedIn and I saw that a guy who's running an NFT company, now he himself is an NFT and I had no idea what that meant and I was very confused and there was people bidding on him as an NFT, so it's definitely a trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, absolutely. And so, yeah, from artists, from painters to people who are like creating music or podcasts, we see these assets being turned into some type of digital assets that they own and they actually own the rights of these assets. So on top of it, we're seeing a lot of marketplaces like OpenSea where people can sell what they are building. We're seeing these type of applications for music and so many other things and really communities of creators are being built to increase and expand their brand. So yeah, very, very interesting what, what is going on and definitely a lot of potential in there. We're coming up on the end of this episode, so we have to just go directly to the quick fire and leave everyone hanging. We had the expectation that this episode would end like this because it's the blockchain space. There's so much and there's no way to structure a conversation in a way that you don't patronize people by only doing an introductory talk or ending up in a place where there's no real good place to end. <laughs> so Sumao, with those words, are you ready for the quick fire? Let's go. First question is, within the blockchain industry, what areas excite you the most that other people aren't really that excited about? That's an art question. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of areas we're very excited about. I would say the main one are the areas in which blockchain can become boring. And what I mean by that is that blockchain has to almost stop existing, right? If you're looking at some companies back in the days like Oracle and SAP and, and all that, you'd go to their websites and they would say, so this is an internet company that does blah, blah, and blah. So th the same is happening in blockchain, right? So we're still attributing too much to this technology. But if we're looking at how we make payments nowadays, how we communicate between each other, people almost do not understand what's an email, what they're actually doing, and what are the payment networks that their money has to go through when they're making a payment and when they want to settle that transfer. And so blockchain has to go through the same process. A very interesting application would be, for example, NBA Top Shot, right? Where you can trade these moments on the NBA and you actually owe them. But they are not saying that they're based on the blockchain. You don't have all those hurdles of going through your massive wallet and creation of all this infrastructure. So that's an area we're very excited about. Another one we'd say are world connectors. So believing that JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs and all these big players are not going away. 
at least in the next 10 years, uh, there will be a lot of companies making the bridge between them and connecting the more legacy world with digital one. And then we're very excited about business applications. And that is something we're not seeing a lot of. We're still at a phase in which we're investing a lot more in infrastructure on the base layer on top of which things may be built. But definitely there are a lot of business applications as we're speaking about with NFTs and so many other technologies coming in that will completely change the industry. I could imagine you're sitting here thinking about something as stupid as the, uh, what's it called? The, it's called Melodie Campri in Denmark. They could take their concerts and then sell each song as a stupid token that anyone could go and buy or a stupid NFT. And then no one listens to those songs afterwards. So you need to hit while there's hype. There's so many applications to this. It's completely ridiculous to think about. Next question, Simao, sorry for that. What are your three top tips for emerging managers who are fundraising? I think there are some very important topics. I would say, first of all, really thinking about your structure as a product. I really come from, you know, like a, a product a background and working with all these companies. And at the end of the day, your fund is a product. Your client is an LP in which on the other side, you really have to help the startups and the companies that we're investing in. So first of all, having a very unique product, a differentiated one with a very strong strategy, I would say that's the first one. We're seeing a lot of generalist funds. We're seeing a lot of funds even focusing on fintech. And I believe having like a geographical focus or an area of focus is no longer enough to raise a fund, right? So having a very strong product on that end that can actually deliver differentiated returns to LPs. The second one, I would say, on the sequence of having a product, really making it an amazing experience for the LPs you're working with and really making sure they fully understand the product, they are excited about it, and that they want to participate. I find it extremely important. And then when it comes to fundraising, I would say speaking with as many people as you can. Anyone that can add value to the fund, we should take at least some time to speak with them, to see their opinions, to see what they're seeing in the market, even if they may not invest. We never know from where other ideas may come in. And finally, like trying to surround yourself by top people in the industry and explore their networks, especially for warm intros. So that's still the best way out there. Yeah, so these people will know where to look at. Great advice. Final question, aside from kickstarting fund one, what can we expect in the future from Zermau and Lightshift Capital? Yeah, so we're having, you know, a lot of requests to deploy other strategies and expand our operations. Right now, we really want to focus on this fund and more importantly, what we can build. That's what we're most excited about, you know, is to contribute and build top applications that everyone will be using 10 years from now. We're still at that early stage point in which we're able to do that, to, to build, as I was mentioning before, the next Google, the next Visa, the next PayPal, and, and so many other. And so that's what we're really focused on at the moment, and that's what excites us the most. So we really want to see those applications out there in, in a few years with our tech team behind it. Awesome. Simon, thank you for joining us. I was here sitting, listening to you and thinking, you know, Andreas and I started this podcast because 
we felt you know the European VC industry was a bit too hard to understand and get to know and it wasn't connected enough and, and we're doing our part in doing that and I was here sitting and thinking you know your space blockchain is maybe that times two <laughs> you know because all the benefits you're saying are easy to understand but then hard to deploy you know so I'm really excited we did this I hope we helped in shedding some light on the technologies but also the investment side of these technologies. So thank you for joining us. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.